I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Oh, hello, and welcome to the Leaves of Glen Mansion. It's a fun little bit where I pretend to live in a mansion and not just recording in my basement. This is where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. This week, we'll continue to read Winnie the Pooh by A.A. A. Milne. I'm saying it that way now. <clears throat> uh, I could go on about his life, about how he was born January 18, 1882, and he died January 31st, 1956. But I won't. I was doing more research on him. We got three other episodes where I could talk about his life. We got, I did some research on him, and I found out that in uh, Trinity College in Cambridge, uh, he uh, had played cricket on a team with J.M. Barry, a murderous pedophile, and Arthur Conan Doyle, a paranormal-obsessed nut who wasn't smart enough to write about the smartest detective in the world, and a mysterious P.G. Wodehouse, uh, who I found out I actually picked out one of his books uh, about some character named Jeeves that I was going to read, and I'm like, oh no, he's already playing cricket with a murderous pedophile and a moron, uh, then who is P.G. Wodehouse? So I'm going to read about P.G. Wodehouse. It turns out he's a little bit fascinating. Uh, he lived in England, and he decided to move to France right before the war started, or the Second World War, uh, and he wrote lighthearted stuff like Joy in the Morning. Uh, and he did that even when the Nazis were at the French border. He wrote Joy in the Morning. So this is a guy who doesn't let the world uh, affect him. Uh, when he learned the Germans were coming to France, a friend offered to fly him out, and uh, he said, No, no, I don't want to leave my wife and my dog. Which I guess is nice. Also, go get the wife and dog, get on that plane, and get out of there. But, because uh, you're an English person in France, you're going to get scooped up and put into a camp or something. Uh, so he got captured. He did eventually try to flee, and he screwed that up. He, the car broke down, then he borrowed a neighbor's car, and then all the, uh, all the people trying to evacuate, there's just too many of them. And so he said, all right, screw it. So he went back home, and of course, he got captured by the Nazis. And he shared a cell with four other men with only one bed. Uh, he was nice enough to make sure that the oldest person, uh, an old man who was in the cell with them, got to sleep in the bed. After a while, uh, uh, he was bounced around in cattle cars till he landed in Poland, uh, and no one knew he, where he was or if he's okay. And influential people petitioned for his release, but the Nazis instead gave him a typewriter, uh, where he wrote, of all things, another lighthearted story called Money in the Bank. <laughs> and he was nice enough to send postcards to his literary agent asking to send $5 to the families of the people that he was in the camp with because those families didn't know if they were alive or not, and this is his way of letting them know they are alive. Uh, I guess if they stopped receiving the $5, sadly enough, they would know that something happened to their loved one. So that was a nice thing he did. That was a man who was living in a horrible situation and actually you know, did something uh, with his about it. Also, he, was in he got in trouble for doing that. They just, the Nazis weren't smart enough to catch on to what he was doing. Uh, one day, while praying... Uh, cricket, again, cricket, with last time with three weirdos, uh, 
Two Nazis came up and gave him ten, ten minutes to pack his things and move to a hotel that he had to pay for. Uh, they were setting aside his money from his hit book, Money in the Bank, uh, and then that's what he's paying for his hotel with. Uh, so they cleverly trapped him, is what he likes to say, into making five broadcasts for the Nazis that were played over, over the airwaves to the English and Americans. Uh, of more lighthearted humor, where he even uh, poked fun a little bit at his captors and stuff. Uh, and so people in America and Britain were outraged, and they called him a traitor. Uh, but then once liberated, people demanded that he be pros- prosecuted, and he didn't get prosecuted. I'm saying this as fast as I can before the grandfather clock goes off telling me to shut up. <clears throat> uh, he and his wife lived in a hotel until a British ambassador to France stayed in the same hotel and was so outraged that they were there, he said, get him out of here. And when they're out of there, I guess the French were so sick of him at this point that they were arrested without any uh, charges, and he was placed under preventative detention. Uh, someone got his wife out, but uh, and then somebody had to try and help to get him into a hospital. I guess he got sick, and the hospital's better environment to be in than this uh, captive place. Uh, uh, so it was at the hospital that he worked on another story. After all of this that he's been through, he worked on Uncle Dynamite! And he was able to secure visas to live in exile in the U.S., but uh, as soon as nobody in France wants him, he's already been kept in detention, and he had to like stay in a hospital because things were so bad. Oh, geez. So, anyways, he finally decided to go to America only after he stayed in France long enough to write mating season. And then after that, he was finally, he got to go to America. And he's delighted at the reception that the Americans gave him, even though he had just spent the last however many months looking at footage of concentration camps. The footage of what happened in concentration camps was out. I'm still talking. I don't care. The footage was out there. So everyone's seen it. They know how horrible the war is. But he's just like, oh, everyone in New York loves us. Also, another thing is they weren't going to leave France until he finished uh, mating season. (laughs) And his wife also wanted to make sure she had just the right kind of clothes for traveling. Completely insane. A quote from P.G. Woodhouse out of uh, after all of this, he says, Of course I ought to have had sense to see that there was a loony thing to do, uh, his radio broadcast, uh, to use the German radio for even the most harmless stuff. But I didn't. I suppose prison life saps the intellect. Uh, so George Orwell wrote a defense of P.G. Wodehouse and said, uh, It's important to realize that the events of 1941 do not convict Wodehouse of anything more than stupidity. Orwell's rationale was Woodhouse's moral outlook has remained that of a public schoolboy, and according to the public school code, treachery in time of war is the most unforgivable of all sins, which was compounded by his complete lack, so far as one can judge from his printed works, of political awareness. Uh, so A.A. Milne had called him a traitor and was demanding that something happen to him, like, you know, now that he's free, do something about this guy. But P.G. got back at him uh, in his copy of The Mating Season uh, by creating parodies of uh, Christopher Robin poems. He also said of Milne, uh, oh, he's probably jealous of all of the writers, but I loved his stuff. Uh, and he was knighted in 1975 because nearly everyone gets knighted over there, no matter how much of an idiot you are. So the point of all this is, is that uh, for some reason during this time, people in England all knew each other if you're a writer. And most of them were either a paranormal obsessed nut, a murderous pedophile, or just a gleeful idiot. Okay, I'm done. I thought it was fascinating. Well, with that, why don't we move on to the actual story of uh, an author I don't hate so far, A.A. Uh, a. Milne's. Uh, Winnie the Pooh.
All right, why don't we get into it? Chapter 3, in which Pooh and Piglet go hunting and nearly catch a woozle. Piglet lived in a very grand house in the middle of Beech Tree, and the Beech Tree was in the middle of the forest, and Piglet lived in the middle of the house. Next to his house was a piece of broken board, which had Trespassers, space, W on it. When Christopher Robin asked what Piglet, uh, what that meant, uh, he said it was his grandfather's name, and he had been in the family for a long time. Christopher Robin said, you couldn't have called Trespassers W. And Piglet said, yes, you could, because his grandfather was, and it was short for Trespassers Will, which was short for Trespassers William. And his grandfather had had two names in case he had lost one, Trespassers after an uncle and William after Trespassers. Uh, this is whimsical. <clears throat> I got two names, said Christopher Robin carelessly. Well, there you are. That proves it, said Piglet. One fine winter's day when Piglet was brushing away the snow in front of his house, oh, he happened to look up, and there was Winnie the Pooh. Oh, Pooh was walking around, round in circle, thinking of something else, and when Piglet called to him, I just went on walking. Hello, said Piglet. That's H-A-L-L-O, so I'm not saying it weird. What are you doing? Hunting, said Pooh. Hunting what? Tracking something, said Winnie the Pooh. Oh, very mysteriously. Yeah, yeah. Tracking what? Said Piglet, coming closer. That's just what I ask myself. I ask myself, what? Uh, what do you think you'll answer? I shall have to wait until I catch up with it, said Winnie the Pooh. Now... Look there, and he pointed to the ground in front of him. What do you see there? Tracks, said Piglet. Paw marks. He gave a little squeak of excitement. Oh, Pooh, do you think it's a, 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 a woozle? Oh, it may be, said Pooh. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. You can never tell with paw marks. With these few words, he went on tracking. And Piglet, after watching him for, oh, a minute or two, ran after him. Winnie the Pooh had come to a sudden stop and was bending over the tracks in a puzzled sort of way. What's the matter, said Piglet. That's a very funny thing, said Bear. But there seems to be two animals now. This, whatever it was, has been joined by another, whatever it is, and the two of them are now proceeding in company. Would you mind coming with me, Piglet, in case they turn out to be hostile animals? Piglet scratched his ear in a nice sort of way, and he said that he had nothing to uh, do until Friday, and he'd be delighted to come, in case it really was a woozle. You mean in case it really is two Woozles, said Winnie the Pooh, and Piglet said that anyhow he had nothing to do until Friday, so off they went together. Now there was a small spinny of larch trees just here, and it seemed as if the two Woozles, if that's what they were, had been going round the spinny, so round the spinny that Pooh and Piglet after them, uh, Piglet passing the time by telling Pooh what his grandfather Trespassers W. had done to remove stiffness after tracking, and how his grandfather Trespassers W. had suffered in his later years from shortness of breath, and other matters of interest, and Pooh wondering what a grandfather was like, and if, if, if perhaps this was too. Do you ever think Pooh wonders where he came from? Did Pooh just exist one day, magically, and then he just never questioned it until he met someone that actually has family members? And so suddenly now he's starting to wonder what, what, what his purpose in life is? What, what does he mean? How is he here? Oh, he's got to have a lot of big questions in his mind. Uh, grandfather, other matters. Pooh wondering what a grandfather was like, and if perhaps this was two grandfathers, and they were after now, and, and if so, whether he would be allowed to take one home and keep it, and 
what Christopher Robin would say, and still the tracks went on in front of them. Suddenly, Winnie the Pooh stopped and pointed excitedly in front of them. Look! What? said Piglet with a jump. And then, to show that he hadn't been frightened, he jumped up and down once or twice more in an exercising sort of way. The tracks, said Pooh. A third animal has joined the other two. Pooh, said Piglet. Do you think it's another woozle? No, said Pooh, because it makes different marks. It is either uh, two woozles and one, as it might be a whizzle, <laughs> or two, as it might be whizzles, and one, if it is a, a woozle. Let us continue to follow them. And so they went on, feeling just a little anxious now, in case the three animals in front of them were of hostile intent. And Piglet wished very much that his grandfather T.W. were here instead of uh, elsewhere. What is he? What is that how you think of someone that passed away? And Pooh thought how nice it would be if they had met Christopher Robin suddenly, but quite accidentally, and only because he liked Christopher Robin, oh, so much. And then all of a sudden, Winnie the Pooh stopped again and licked the tip of his nose in a cooling manner, for he was feeling more hot and anxious than ever in his life before. There were four animals in front of them. Do you see? Do you see, Piglet? Look at the tracks. Three, as it were, woozles, and one, as it was, whizzle. Another woozle has joined them. And so it seemed to be. There were the tracks, crossing over each other there and getting muddled up with each other there, but quite plainly, every now and then, the tracks of four sets of paws. I think, said Piglet, when he had licked the tip of his nose, too. What are they doing that for? And found that it brought a very little comfort. I think that I have just remembered something. I think I just remembered something that I forgot to do yesterday and shan't be able to do tomorrow, so I suppose I should really get back and go do it now. Well, do it this afternoon, and I'll come with you, said Pooh. It isn't the sort of thing you can do in the afternoon, said Piglet quickly. It's a very particular morning thing, and it has to be done in the morning, and if it's possible, uh, between the hours of, uh, oh, what time did you say it was? Uh, about twelve, said Winnie the Pooh, looking at the sun. Oh, between, as I was saying, the hours of twelve and twelve-five. Uh, so really, dear old Pooh, if you'll excuse me, what's that? Pooh looked up at the sky, and then, as he heard the whistle again, he looked up into the branches of the big oak tree, and he saw a friend of his. Oh, it's, uh, yeah, it's Christopher Robin, he said. Ah, then you'll be all right, said Piglet. You'll be quite safe with him. Uh... Uh, goodbye, and he trotted off home as quickly as he could, very glad to be out of uh, all danger again. Christopher Robin came home, or came slowly down his tree. Ah, silly old bear, he said. Well, where are you doing? Well, first you went round the spinny twice by yourself, and then Piglet ran after you, and then you went round again together, and then you were just going round a fourth time. Long M-dash, real long M-dash. Wait a moment, said Winnie the Pooh, holding up his paw. And he sat down and thought, in the most thoughtful way he could think. And then he fitted his paw into one of the tracks. Uh, and then he scratched his nose twice and he stood up. Yes, said Winnie the Pooh. Oh, I see now, said Winnie the Pooh. I've been foolish and deluded, said he. And I am no bear of brain at all. You're the best bear in all the world, said Christopher Robin soothingly. Am I? Yeah, said the Pooh, hopefully. And then he brightened up suddenly. Anyhow, he said, it is nearly luncheon time. Now, so he went home for it. Well, that's the end of that chapter. Uh, 
I could try to somehow tie this in with uh, Dorglass Incorporated. That's D-O-R-G-L-A-S-S dot com. Uh, they're, they're dedicated to fabricating professionally installing the highest quality glass products for the nation's top manufacturers. Their inventory combined with their years of experience makes them the premier source for installation and repair. Oh, they approach every project with the same goals. Professionalism, integrity, and this is the part where we're supposed to tie it into what we just read. They're discreet. Uh, I guess maybe if he's installing glass in your home, like putting up a window or something, and then he sees you accidentally, uh, I don't know, poop yourself, he just won't tell anyone because he's discreet. What do they do? Commercial storefronts, automatic entrances, windows, patio doors, mirrors, shower doors, installation repair, and they will design and build anything you want. Oh, their clients at Pottery Barn, Williams, Sonoma, Sherwin-Williams, Portillo's, Salt Cave, which is a place that has Himalayan salt. Uh, I'm not feeling this today. Uh, Himalayan salt on the walls that they backlit, so when you walk into it, it's like a big, giant, glowing room, and it's like you're inside some kind of weird organ, like a living organ. It's just disgusting. You're not supposed to God, don't touch the walls. You're not supposed to touch the walls. But you could do stuff in there, like sweat a lot, because it'll heat it up to 90 degrees. We could do hot yoga, and uh, I don't know. I'm sure they burn incense and stuff. Those walls are probably not supposed to be licked for a reason, because of all the sweat and the humidity and all the like, all that, the stuff from the smoke, from the, the, the incense, and the I don't know what else they do. Spray Febreze. But uh, just don't lick the walls, whatever you do. And Applebee's. Well, with that, I picked out a story that is actually uh, appropriate, I think, because I didn't really read the whole thing. Um, normally, I take you up to my master bedroom where I have a heart-shaped waterbed and everything's made of velvet. Uh, but then we're reading a kid's book, so instead we're going to go into the snuggle closet uh, where I will read to you about an upcoming romance novel from Penguin Random House Books. Oh, good. Yeah, you found the snuggle closet. Last time you had a tough time with it, uh, and you're dressed like a, an English gentleman, like a, like a Mr. Darcy. Uh, it seems like neither one of us is really feeling it today, but that's fine. Oh, you're just flat out handing me the book. Fine. Uh, you've handed me a copy of The Impossible Imposter by Deanna Rayborn. Uh, it's, uh, it's part of a, a Veronica Speedwell mystery, whatever that's supposed to mean to anyone that doesn't already know. Uh, about the impossible imposter? Sure, I'll read about it. While investigating a man claiming to be the long-lost heir to a noble family, Veronica Speedwell gets the surprise of her life in this paperback reprint of New York Times best-selling uh, and Edgar award-winning author... <sighs> The New York Times bestselling author is a scam. And now whatever this Edgar Award is, my lord. Uh, Deanna Rayburn, London, 1889. Veronica Speedwell and her natural historian Bew Stoker, eh, like Bram, are summoned by Hugh, uh, Sir Hugo Montagiri, Montagiri, Montagamiri, don't care, head of the special branch. Oh, he has a personal request on behalf of his goddaughter, uh, Euphemia. Hathaway? These names are ridiculous. After years of traveling the world, Euphemia's eldest brother, Jonathan, heir to Hathaway Hall, was believed to have been killed in the catastrophic eruption of Krakatoa a few years before. But now, a man matching Jonathan's description and carrying his possessions have arrived at Hathaway Hall with no memory of his identity or where he has been. Could this man truly be Jonathan back from the dead? 
Or is he a devious imposter determined to gain ownership of the family's most valuable possession? A legendary power of priceless Rajasthani jewels? I'm dying inside. It's a delicate situation, and Veronica is Sir Hugo's only hope. Veronica and Stoker agree to go to Hathaway Hall to covertly investigate the mysterious amnesiac. Veronica is soon shocked to find herself face-to-face with the ghost from her past. To help Sir Hugo discover the truth, she must open doors to her own history that she long believed shut for good. But that seems clean enough for a children's book, uh, and I'm glad that you're dressed appropriately, just as as an English gentleman. Uh, Why don't we... Get out of this snuggle closet. I refuse to snuggle you in here. Uh, there is nothing snuggly about that story. And we'll go back downstairs to the library and finish reading the rest of this book. I'm not feeling it, uh, for some reason, in this episode. Are you? I can tell you're not feeling it either. What's going on? It's a new year. It's 2023. Uh, it's supposed to be a bright hope for a better year. And for some reason, I feel like a giant turd. Uh, I don't know what's going on. And it looks like you're not doing much better yourself. I don't know uh, if we should be concerned about this. But in either case, let's read chapter four, in which Eeyore loses a tail and Pooh finds one. The old gray donkey, Eeyore, stood by himself in a thistly corner of the forest. Oh, his front feet well apart and his head on one side, how he thought about things. Sometimes he thought sadly to himself, why? And sometimes he thought, oh, wherefore? And sometimes he thought, insomuch as which? And sometimes he didn't quite know what he was thinking about, so when Winnie the Pooh came stumping along, Eeyore was very glad to be able to stop thinking for a little in order to say, Hey, how you do? In a gloomy manner to him. And how are you? said Winnie the Pooh. Eeyore shook his head from side to side. Well, not very how, he said. I don't seem to have felt at all for a, a long time. Oh, dear, dear, said Pooh. I'm sorry about that. Let's have a look at you. So, uh, Eeyore stood there, gazing sadly at the ground, and Winnie the Pooh walked all around him once. Why, what's happened to your tail? He said in surprise. What has happened to it? said Eeyore. Why isn't there? Yeah. Are you sure? Well, your tail is there, or it isn't there, and you can't mistake about it, and yours isn't there. Uh, Then what is? Nothing. Let's have a look, said Eeyore, and he turned slowly around in the place where his tail had been a little while ago, and then, finding that he couldn't catch up, uh, catch it up, he turned around the other way until he came back around to where he was first, and then he put his head down, and he looked between his front legs, and at last he said with a long, sad sigh, I, uh, I believe you're right. Of course I'm right, said Pooh. That accounts for a good deal, said Eeyore gloomily, and it explains everything. No wonder. Oh, you must have left it somewhere, said Winnie the Pooh. Somebody must have taken it, said Eeyore. How like them, he added after a long silence. Pooh felt that he ought to say something helpful about it, but he didn't quite know what. So he decided to, uh, to do something helpful instead. Eeyore, he said solemnly, I, Winnie the Pooh, will find your tail for you. Uh, thank you, Pooh, answered Eeyore. Ah, oh, you're a real friend, said he. Not like some, he said. So Winnie the Pooh went off to find Eeyore's tail. 
It was a fine spring morning in the forest as he started out. Little soft clouds played happily in the blue sky, skipping from time to time in front of the sun as if they had come to, to put it out. Yeah, it's like, wait, suddenly the, the, the next might have it. Uh, although them and between them, the, the sun shone bravely, and a copse which had worn its Furs all year round seemed old and dowdy now beside the new green lace which the beeches had put on so prettily. Oh, through the copse and the spinny marched bare. Down open slopes of gorse and heather. I have no idea what's going on. What's a copse and what's a gorse? I know what a heather is. Over rocky beds of streams and up steep banks of sandstone into the heather again. Burp. And so at last... Tired and hungry to the hundred-acred wood, for it was in the hundred-acred wood that Owl lived. And if anyone knows anything about anything, said Bear to himself, it's Owl who knows something about, uh, something, he said, or my name is not Winnie the Pooh, he said, which it is, he added, so, uh, <clears throat> there you are. Owl lived at the Chestnuts, an old-world residence of great charm, which was grander than anybody else's or seemed so to bear because it had both a knocker eh, and a pole bell. Underneath the knocker, there was a notice which said, Please ring if an answer is required. And all of this is misspelled, which is delightful. Underneath the pole bell, there was a notice that said, Please knock if an answer is not required. That's also misspelled. I had to sit there and double-check that I read it right. These notices have been written by Christopher Robin, who was the only one in the forest who could spell for Owl, wise enough though he was in many ways, able to read and write and spell in his own name, W-O-L, <laughs> but yet somehow went on all pieces over delicate words like measles and buttered toast. Winnie the Pooh read the two notices very carefully. So Winnie the Pooh can read. First from left to right and... And afterwards, in case he had missed some of it, uh, from right to left. Then, to make quite sure, he knocked and pulled the knocker. And he pulled and knocked uh, the bell rope. And it was called out very loud voice. Owl, eh, I require an answer. It's bear speaking. And the door opened and Owl looked out. Hello, Pooh, he said. How is things? Well, terrible and sad, said Pooh, because Eeyore, who's afraid of, uh, of mine, has lost, a friend of mine, has lost his tail. And he's uh, moping about it. So could you very kindly tell me how to find it for him? Well, said Owl, the customary procedure in such cases is as follows. What does customary uh, proceed cake mean? said Pooh, for I am a bear of very little brain and long words bother me. Oh, it means a thing to do. As long as it means that, I don't mind, said Pooh humbly. The thing to do is as follows. First, issue a reward. Then, big long M dash. Just a moment, said Pooh, holding up his paw. What do we do to this? Uh, what were you saying? You sneezed just as you were going to tell me. I didn't sneeze. Yeah, yeah, you did, Owl. Excuse me, Pooh, I didn't. You can't sneeze without knowing it. Well, you can't know it without something having been sneezed. What I said uh, was the first issue a reward. Oh, you're doing it again, said Pooh, sadly. A reward, said Owl very loudly. We write a notice to say that we will give a large something to anybody who finds Eeyore's tail. I see, I see, said Pooh, nodding his head. Talking about large somethings, he went on dreamily. I generally have a small something about now, oh, about this time in the morning. Ugh. He looked wistfully at the cupboard in the corner of Owl's, Owl's parlor. Just a mouthful of condensed milk or whatnot, and with perhaps a lick, perhaps a lick of honey. Well then, said Owl, we write out this notice. We put it up all over the forest. A lick of honey, 
murmured Bear to himself, or, or not, as the case may be. And he gave a deep sigh and tried very hard to listen to what Owl was saying, but Owl went on and on, using longer and longer words, until at last he came back to where he started, and he, and he explained that the person to write about this notice was Christopher Robin. It was he who wrote the ones on my front door for me. Did you see them, Pooh? For some time now, Pooh had been saying yes and no in turn with his eyes shut. All that Owl was saying and having said yes, yes, last time he said no, not at all. Now, without really knowing what Owl was talking about, and didn't you see him, said Owl, a little surprised, come and look at them now. So they went outside and Pooh looked at the knocker and the notice uh, below it, and he looked at the bell rope and and the notice below it. And the more he looked at the bell rope, and the more he felt that he had seen something like it somewhere else sometime before. Handsome bell rope, isn't it? said Owl. Pooh nodded. It reminds me of something, he said, but I can't think what. Where'd you get it? I just came across it in the forest. It was hanging over a bush. And I thought, at first, somebody lived there. So I rang it, and nothing happened. And then I rang it again very loudly, and it came off in my hand. And as nobody seemed to want it, I, I took it home. And, big long ambidash, Owl, said Pooh solemnly, you made a mistake. Somebody did want it. Who? Eeyore, my friend Eeyore. Uh, he was very fond of it. Fond of it? Attached to it, said Winnie the Pooh sadly. So with these words, he unhooked it and carried it back to Eeyore. And when Christopher Robin had nailed it on his right place again, Eeyore frisked about the forest, waving his tail so happily that Winnie the Pooh came over all funny and had to hurry home for a little snack of something to sustain him. And wiping his mouth half an hour afterwards, he sang to himself proudly, Oh, I'm not going to sing a song. Why is there so many songs in this book? <clears throat> Who found the tail? I, said Pooh, and accorded it too. Only it was a quarter to eleven, really. I found the tail. That's the song. No, that's the end of the chapter. <laughs> okay, fine. Well, there you go. Uh, that's got some disturbing implications. I guess we can go over. But why don't we do that down in the smoking room, where we can both smoke cigars and pipes and, uh, I don't know, cigarettes. Uh, whatever the hell you want uh, as we talk about what the heck we just read. Well, there you are. Uh, I've started smoking Camel cigarettes. Uh, I hope you enjoy the smell and the fragrance that comes off this fine tobacco. Uh, what do we read? Uh, my uh, wife put these birds in here. It's a bit we've been doing it for a while. And I wanted to take the bird sounds out of this bit, but my wife says I like them there. So now the bird's got to stay. Um... Uh, the first story, he walked around a circle and didn't realize the foot tracks are his own foot tracks. Okay, fine. I get it. Piglet is a, a big scaredy cat, so he takes off right away because he's smaller than the rest of the animals and dumber. Uh, Christopher Robin, uh, I don't know, doesn't really help him figure out. He's figured it out on his own. Like, ah, these paw prints are mine. So what do we learn from that story? Uh, uh, don't be an idiot. Like, uh, like Wodehouse. Just, uh, try to be smarter than that. So, uh, beyond that, then we go into the next story, and the next story is how, how Eeyore, who is 
chronically depressed and it's not being treated. It's adorable how depressed people are just funny, aren't they? So, uh... So he, uh... Turns out he lost his tail. So that's the thing that you do with depression. You try to find some external source for your problems. And then you go, oh, I'm all my problems must have been that the entire time. I don't have a tail. I just must have known it somehow. And that's why I'm so unhappy. So he gets, he goes to the owl to ask for a wise man's help. And that guy's already got <clears throat> the appendage of one of his friends just hanging from the door. If you're a stuffed animal... And you're friends with other stuff. Even if you're a real owl and you're friends with stuffed animals, like you know who Winnie the Pooh is, you know who Eeyore is, and you're just hanging around, you'd notice, I, you'd be aware of an appendage coming off of a person you're friends with. If I was friends with some kind of weird elf, elf? Yeah, what if I was friends with Alf? If I was friends with Alf, and, and then, like, his giant schnoz just fell off in the woods one day, and I found that schnoz, I would say, this is not normal, and this is a giant schnoz, and I think it came from Alf, because it's very distinctive looking. And so then I wouldn't put it on my door as, like, a weird, funny honker. Squeeze this if you want me to answer the door. I'd misspell on a big sign. Uh, no, you'd, uh, you'd say, oh, this is an actual appendage from a person I know. This is like finding a human arm in the woods. And it's like, oh, that's, uh, that's Glenn's arm. I better get that back to him. Uh, but no, he's like, oh, cool, and just nails it to his door. And so then he's like, on, pull on the thing. And also, the signs were supposed to be written by Christopher Robin, right? I think I got that straight. Uh, everyone, apparently everyone can read, but nobody can write. So they can read what Christopher Robin wrote, which is misspelled to begin with, and then on top of it, uh, Christopher Robin saw this thing hanging there and like, good enough for me. I don't know any stuffed animals with tails and just like, here's the sign. Now everyone knows the rules about trying to ring the knocker or whatever the heck that whole thing is about. So basically, they're all uh, disgusting cannibals over there in the Hundred Acre Wood. And uh, what do we learn from that? Uh, nobody seems to have remorse if you've accidentally taken an appendage from one of your good, good friends. You just, uh, you just go, oh, I didn't know. Uh, and then that's the end of the story. And then Eeyore doesn't hold resentment for, like, that guy had to have known it was my tail. It's blue, and it's long, like I'm blue. And he just hung it from his door. I'm never talking to him again. In fact, I'm burning down his treehouse. But nope, none of that happened. Instead, they just uh, just they all uh, moved on and had a, a great life afterwards without resentment. So uh, with that, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, I will see you in the next episode where hopefully I'll be feeling it this time. I know you're not feeling it either. What's going on in this episode? We're just, we're just plowing through. Nobody even cares anymore. It's, we're just not feeling it. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's, there's that. Uh, uh, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people, not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read including stuff like gestating the curious mind with my lady friend or uh, wife, because I'm married. 
Oh, I'm on Instagram. But no one uses that anymore because they all use TikTok. Am I ever going to get on TikTok? No. But if you want to look at my dead Instagram, it's at House Nuzzle. I also have Twitter, which I use the most, which is also conveniently at House Nuzzle. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com. But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. Can't believe I drank all of them already. There's gotta be one left. 